Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation and a continuation of our conversation with Freddie Bacon, Director of Sport Development at Axis Leisure Management. In this, the second half of our conversation, we turn our attention to the work Freddie is doing with Burton Snowboards to create a network of snowboard academies across China. We also talk about how technology is being used to improve and scale snowboarding in China, the rise of four-season attractions augmenting the revenue for ski hills in China, and lastly, we have a discussion around the lead-up to the 2022 Winter Olympics and how that's shaping the snow sports world in China. Enjoy. The areas that have been successful are the areas that have invested heavily into kids and getting kids on snow because that is the future market. And so whilst we're looking at the here and now, these resorts have cost huge amounts of money and the return on investment, some of the infrastructure that goes in is many, many years. And uh, we've got to be looking at the future to, to, to ensure that there's going to be revenue streams in 20, 30, 40 years. And the way to do that is to invest in kids. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore, but entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. You're currently working with Burton Snowboards, uh, and that's amazing. Burton, I just have such a, a love affair with Burton because they were one of the first brands I ever knew of in the late 80s when when snowboarding popped onto my radar and, and came onto the scene, uh, which was also great for me because I wasn't a great skier. But when snowboarding became popular, it reset the playing field. So now I was able to keep up with everybody. And you're working with Burton Snowboards to create a network of snowboard academies across China. Tell us more about what you're doing, why you're doing it, why is Burton engaging in this uh, in China, uh, and what have you and they learned so far throughout growing this network of the snowboard academies? Yeah, this this project's huge, and I am I'm so thrilled and just very privileged. Feel very privileged to be working with Burton, um, a brand that I've identified with for for many many years. Um, and so to actually be involved in, in such a deep level with such a significant project in China, is it's, it was definitely a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me, uh, which, of course, I jumped on. Um, but I think there's, there's two key parts to what we're doing here. We are developing um, academies with the long-term goal of assisting with this, this learning experience and the experience of first-time snowboarders at resorts. And to the points I spoke about earlier, we, we want to ensure in these academy locations that when customers turn up, we, we, are, uh, we have everything ready for them. So they don't have to line up for rentals. The lift pass is ready. We introduce them to their coach and they're straight on snow. So there's a huge piece of how do we reduce that time to snow? Um, but also with very high service levels. 
Um, but the really important part of what we're doing with the academy development is we are creating the Burton China Academy Certification Program. And this is an instructor certification program of which we've developed our first level. And the this certification will be a standard that's in line with international, uh, it's the ISIA, so the International Snow Sports Instructor Alliance, um, of which in, uh, international alliances all conform to that standard. And that's the way we're developing this so that it is going to be a world-class certification and one of the prerequisites for our staff uh, who are going to be employed by the academy is that they have to have gone through our own certification system uh, and in doing so we then know where that we can ensure the quality of lesson that they're going to deliver to our academy customers um, and so whilst we're, we're, we're in the process of this development we do plan to have 20 locations by year five um, but there, there, are, there is talk of perhaps more than 20 locations um, so coming up to winter which is rapidly approaching we're going to be operating two locations um, with uh, a relatively modest amount of coaches for year one because what we have a having a sort of a, the ethos is start small and get it right so that we can build a very scalable um, so we, we know that um, what we have developed, we can we can scale knowing that the, the product service is right and the operation plans are right. Um, so this is a bit of a trial year for us, but the, the long-term goal is to really increase the retention rates of first-time snowboarders in China and then have programs within our academy that are geared towards um, retaining people and, and having snowboarders come back to the academy because we can offer them something that they won't be able to find uh, in other snow sports school, which are always generally very much geared towards the, the lower end market in terms of first timers and beginners. But we want to make sure that there is a clear progression and that you can have been snowboarding for five years. But if you come to our academy, we guarantee we'll be able to teach you something new or develop your skills or get you ready for a, a powder trip to Japan. I mean, these are the types of programs we'll be putting together. So we'll have a weekend package of learn to ride powder. And then within the academy, we'll organize a group trip to Japan. And uh, so it's a very exciting project to be part of. I come from the world of technology. And you've mentioned uh, some data points a couple of times. But I feel like technology is now in everything and contributing to the growth and scale of businesses and sports and such. What about the growth of snowboarding in China? How is technology potentially being used to improve the growth of the sport, the understanding of the customer base, or to even improve customer experiences? Yeah, this is an excellent question. And with uh, the, the way things are developing in China, the, I, I, I honestly think that in a few years' time, the, the results here will be leading the charge in terms of service quality and customer experience levels through the use of technology and technology being able to really streamline a lot of systems and processes and alleviate wait times and queues um, and allow customers to have everything pre-ordered and pre-booked before they arrive. Um, and the, the thing is here, we, we have the WeChat and Alipay mini programs, uh, which are relatively inexpensive to develop um, and so it's not a huge capital outlay for resorts to, to build apps and mini programs uh, versus if you look at uh, Europe and North America generally things are still done through websites and have very complex back-end management systems um, which 
yeah, some of this software is is very expensive, and I know from just my experiences in the past, it, it's complex and expensive. But with mini programs, you're able to achieve exactly the same thing in a relatively inexpensive program that is all held within within WeChat. Um, and so you can have both front-end systems for that make the customer experience much easier and back-end systems that make the resort management side um, easier from everything through to scheduling coaches, uh, to, to rental inventory management, uh, hotel room booking, packaging everything together. Um, and the amount of mini programs that are being developed in China for all different businesses, are, are, I'm seeing a, a real increase in service quality based on that at Chinese resorts. I know what a you know one of the most hilarious things to me, and it's always been that way, is that every time I go to my local ski hill here in Western Canada, um, the all the staff are Australian. Sometimes, sometimes New Zealand, sometimes Australian, sometimes British, but I would say a solid seventy five percent of the people who work at our ski hills are from Australia. Now, with you in in. In China, are you working mostly with expats as fellow instructors, or is there local interest, local talent, uh, local instructors from China for those jobs too? Yeah, it's uh, it is true that in resorts globally, uh, it's very much an international mix of instructors. Um, and I think largely because of the, the the southern and northern hemispheres. So, so the Aussies and Kiwis can work in the northern hemisphere and then lots of the americans and the europeans go down to the southern hemisphere um, and that's really just a there is a demand for for lots of instructors globally um, and i think over the years there actually has been a bit of a decline um, in the amount of qualified instructors and i'd say since the sort of 2008 financial issues um, but in china the um it's all it's all it's all domestic instructors uh, there are pockets of small international schools where you may find three or four, uh, you know, maximum ten international instructors uh, versus the 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 resort's own school where you'd be looking at two to three hundred domestic instructors. Um, so, as a percentage, international uh, expat instructors in China are very very small, um, and I think one of the reasons for that is that. Uh, in terms of, as I was mentioning before, lots of people that become instructors, they do so because they get to, to work in an industry they're passionate about. They get to enjoy skiing and snowboarding in their spare time. Um, and they often want to do so in resorts that, that uh, you know, have great terrain and good powder days. And so for a Brit or an Aussie to go and work in a Canadian resort, what a fantastic experience on day off. Maybe you've got two foot of fresh powder and you're able to ride through the trees. Um, likewise, you can go to Japan and have similar experiences. Unfortunately, in China, a lot of the resorts are um, man-made in the sense that it's all, it's all uh, snowmaking produced snow, um, often very cold. Uh, and the terrain is quite, quite similar. Um, and some of the resorts have done great jobs in, 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 in building some really interesting trails, but often it's generally just on-piece groomed groomed trails. Uh, and I think for a lot of international instructors, when they go overseas to work, um, they would they would much rather be in an environment where they can do the types of skiing and the situations that they enjoy. Uh, big mountain powder, perhaps. Um, I think what we'll see in China is though lots of freestyle. Uh, the, the, what what's 
being done very well in China is Terrain Park building. Um, and there's places up in um, Changbaishan, Tiger Ridge Park, which is really world class. There's now slope style courses in China. And I think because the snow conditions are so consistent here, I think what we will see is lots of international teams wanting to come to China to train um, for, for long periods of time. And as such, I then see a big growing demand for freestyle coaches. Um, of which there aren't enough of in China um, with the amount of experience that I think is now required by the market because there's huge amounts of of talent in both ski and snowboard freestyle. There's some amazing athletes that are coming through. Um, and I think there will need to be an import of, of coaches to a certain degree for that, uh, which is already happening with some of the national teams. But going away from kind of high-performance sport into more sort of mass market fun, there is a demand for freestyle in snow sports schools um, and th there is a lack of coaches. So I think perhaps in the future that we will see more international uh, coaches over here for the purpose of freestyle and possibly ski racing with the race facilities that have been built. Um, but uh, for the most part, it will still be a small percentage. And um, in within snow sports schools, it will be lots and lots of domestic instructors. Um, and hopefully they'll all be qualified with um, with decent qualifications. I wanted to ask you one quick question. It's something that um, I still don't know, and it's piqued my interest to understand. Can you ballpark what a adult day pass would cost at your average run-of-the-mill hill in Beijing? Because I know that here, where I am, I would say 100 bucks Canadian gets you a day on the hill without gear, uh, whereas maybe Whistler is more in the 150 to $200 range. What does it cost in China? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd ballpark it. Um, there's lots of dynamic pricing that goes on here. Um, so there could be promotional uh, ways to get something through various sales channels. Um, so it would be hard to ballpark it, but I'd say anywhere from at an at a average resort close to Beijing, um, I'd really say anywhere from kind of 300 to to 600 RMB. Okay. Um, it's 50 to 100 with, bucks. With the, with the, yeah, with the larger major resorts being at the higher end of that scale uh, for much longer periods in winter. Um, and often in peak season, I would say perhaps more. You could be looking at sort of six to 800 RMB a day in, and when I say major resorts, I'm talking about resorts with three or four chairlifts. Um, but definitely at some of the smaller resorts, perhaps with one chairlift or a few surface lifts, then you're looking at the lower end of that scale. But yeah, the, the, as I said, the lift pass price in China is very comparable to to other markets. In the West, one thing that I've noticed a lot of the resorts, we'll call them, that the one thing that they've really, really been investing in is full year round utilization of uh, the attractions, uh, the equipment, personnel, what have you, everything from, you know, the, the crank works, uh, mountain bike races that happen up at, uh, uh, Whistler Black Home to, uh, you know, even during the winter getting, you know, the tube towns, the ice skating, the, uh, kids snowmobile tracks where they can rip around, um, ice climbing towers that they're building. They are really, really creating um, these 365-day adventure um, resorts. And I know that uh, even where I am, our hill was purchased by a U.S. Um, outdoor adventure company. 
to, you know, this is now part of their strategy. Are we seeing more of this as well? Has this become also something that the resorts in China are investing in? Yeah, this is a really important point. Um, yes, the short answer is resorts here are trying to be four season resorts um, and as such have year round revenue. Uh, I think a key a key point to make is that it's very difficult with, with, with the amount of customers that resorts are seeing here. It's very difficult to, to get the staff that's required to service that amount of people. And by the time you've trained 500 to 1,000 staff and you've given them all seasonal contracts, they go away for six months and then you have to try and find another 500 to 1,000 staff, give them all another seasonal contract. And this, this, this ongoing re- re- repetition of training and non-retaining staff because perhaps they've gone off to different jobs or different industries and so it's very important for resorts who are looking to improve their service quality uh, to be able to hire people year round um, and maintain staff and once they've delivered training that they're going to get value out of that training for for years to come um, and so as 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 part of that is to make sure that there is a year round business model to ensure that there can be an opportunity to employ people um, and so i think i think for now there, there are resorts that do it more as a service. Uh, and until summer customer understanding and knowledge that these resorts are open year-round grows, I think it's it's definitely the, the focus is still on winter. But there are places in China, uh, for example, Chongli, where the where the Olympic um, some of the Olympic venues will be happening. Um, in it by train, it's forty eight minutes from Beijing, and in middle of summer. It's mid twenties uh, in terms of temperature, so 25, 26 degrees. It's green. It's beautiful versus Beijing, that's potentially forty degrees and and humid. And so you can just jump on a train for the weekend, be in the mountains in forty eight minutes, in beautiful weather with huge uh, mountain environment. And now the resorts are putting on activities. So for families, there's so much to do. You can just go out there for a weekend or even a couple of days in the week. And if I was to make a prediction, I would actually think that in many years to come, these resorts will potentially be busier in summer than they are in winter. Um, and I think um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens uh, in the in the coming years. But I, I can see lots of people buying property up there, not to necessarily be spending lots of time there skiing and snowboarding in the winter, uh, but to have an escape from Beijing in the summer months. One of the growth models I saw for the sport of golf in China, at least from the development of the golf courses, was almost a a residential tourism type of expansion where they were actually creating the golf course, selling high-end expensive memberships to the golf course in order to then facilitate and pay for the residential um, and sometimes commercial real estate development surrounding that attraction. Is that something that you're seeing happen in China as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think there's, there's for, for resorts and developers, there's a couple of ways to approach this. Um, and it's very difficult to say which, which way is right or wrong. Um, it's sort of a case of whether you build the hotels first or you build the ski trails, both of very, very expensive projects and take huge amounts of time. 
Um, and then once you've built, built the hotels and you've built apartment blocks, it's a question of whether you sell them immediately and, and take that revenue or whether you you rent them out as hotel rooms or apartments and, and have a kind of more long-term approach to the revenue stream. And I think there's perhaps this has been noticed in places like Europe um, where the resorts have been around for many, many years. And so perhaps there are apartments uh, and properties in resorts that are owned by families and have been for multi-generations. Um, but what what's happening is that the owners of those properties can't necessarily don't aren't in a position to be able to afford to go skiing all the time even though they have somewhere to stay we still got to consider the cost of lift passes and, and food and so what that is now is in a resort is basically an empty property um, which is not providing um, incidental revenue to to the resorts in that area and the local businesses um, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens in China uh, because a lot of the resorts that are being developed here are selling a huge amount of real estate. Um, and I often worry if if a lot of that real estate is being purchased as an investment. Uh, and if it's being purchased as an investment with no intention to go and use that space, um, perhaps you're going to have big buildings in resorts that remain empty. Um, and in an ideal world, they would be full with people going skiing or, or up in summer for summer activities. Um, so it's a fine fine balance for resort businesses to, to get right. Uh, on the one hand, they need revenue to continue developing the resort so that customers come. Uh, but on the other hand, they have to ensure that people will come long term um, so they can realize their investment. So it's it's um it is a very it's a very difficult, difficult situation to manage that. Yeah, I think that is a very astute observation because as you and I both know from from our time in China is that almost an, an entire you know you know small small community developments were developed and sold and they're ghost towns they were mostly sold as property investments and holdings versus um you know going to be livable and, and thriving communities uh, and there's, you know, there's interesting factors there. I know that um, sometimes I was running into um, going to see properties or going to people's houses. If they weren't at 60 percent um, capacity of, of people living there, they wouldn't turn on the gas. So there were people living there who were running with hot plates, couldn't use their their stoves um, simply because um, they didn't have enough you know, capacity or people living in the, in the, uh, in the building for them to warrant turning on the gas or, you know, the, the more city led, uh, facilities or, or utilities. So, um, it is, it is a very interesting thing and I'm sure it's, um, uh, being broached, but I know, you know, we've talked about the housing bubble on, on the podcast before as well. And I know that that's being somewhat, um, corrected, um, slowly, but surely as well. So, um, you know, fingers crossed that, uh, you know, it doesn't impact the resorts too much. Uh, I want to bring this home with a conversation about the page, the Beijing Olympics in 2022. So that obviously it's now the Winter Olympics versus 2008, which was the Summer Olympics. What impact have you seen um, the ramp up to those Beijing 2022 Olympics? How has that been able to uh, impact all things snow sports and the resorts and the snow schools and the work that you're doing with Burton as well? Yeah, it's a really good point to, to make here is that um, 
I think if you were to walk around the streets of Beijing five years ago, um, even possibly three three years ago, and ask somebody in the street, "What is skiing? What is snowboarding? Uh, do you know what ski jumping is? Do you do you know what uh, yeah, these winter sports events are, particularly the Olympic winter sports events?" And I think more often than not, the answer would have been, "No, I have no idea what that is. That is something that I've never heard of." Um, what the Olympics has done <clears throat> to China is is it's raised awareness of of winter sports. Um, and there's now so much uh, in the way of media um, with some huge, huge brands, as you know, that are sponsoring the, the Winter Olympics. And there is just constant exposure as to, into winter sports. Um, and I think what that's done is create an incredible hype around winter sports. And I think people here are genuine, genuinely excited for the Winter Olympics. And also people are genuinely looking for a way to get into it. And they want to be able to go to a resort and they want to try skiing, snowboarding, and other winter sports as well. Um, and so I think what we're going to see, and, and f- from my point of view with working with Burton, is um, we're really happy with the hype that's been created around the Winter Olympics because we know people are going to be driven to coming to the mountains and they'll want to try um, skiing and snowboarding. And with Burton, we have huge retail presence in major cities and we're able to actually use those uh, as a as a point to educate customers where they can go in the Burton Academy, um, and they're able to then scan our QR code within the retail store, download the Burton Academy mini program, and book their experiences. Um, and so we're really looking forward to, to the Olympics happening and this hype continuing to grow. Uh, and I think what we'll see post-Olympics is a continued amount of interest, uh, and people will get really excited from what they see on TV and want to come up to the mountains and and get involved. The the key here is that the resorts and the businesses that are involved in winter sports um, shouldn't be taking this opportunity for granted. Yes, more customers are going to go to those businesses, um, but what the, the trick is going to be is ensuring they have fantastic experiences and want to come back. Um, and that's what's going to ensure the, the long-term survival of winter sport participation in China. Um, and so I think lots of resorts and businesses get this and the, the service quality is, it needs to be now, um, it's more important than ever, We're going to have lots of people wanting to get involved in winter sports and ensuring they stay involved is is really the secret. Are those that are in the industry like yourself, is there potentially a collective holding of the breath um, and an anticipation? Because I'm imagining there's been a lot of investment in betting that snow sports are going to take off because of the 2022 Olympics. So um, are you are you seeing that? Is there a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of, you know, tightness in the in the chest around like, you know, we've we put a lot of money into this. Like we're we're really betting that things are going to take off here. Um, is is there, uh, you know, is there some some real hope um, that you know we're we're really going to see this as a as a as a marker in history? Is when when snow sports really started to take off in China? That's that's a fantastic point to make, um, and I would actually be really interested to have that conversation with a resort owner um, or resort owners. Uh, and get, these are the guys that have literally invested billions of dollars into these resort projects. Um, and so I don't have as much um, skin skin in the game as as them. Uh, but I do think that, yes, there will be people potentially holding their breath 
it's it's less of a gamble. And I think if you look at historic data, look at look at the Olympic venues that have hosted the games in the past, who's been successful and who's not. Uh, and the trend is the the areas that have been successful are the areas that have invested heavily into kids and getting kids on snow because that is the future market. And so whilst we're looking at the here and now, these resorts have cost huge amounts of money and the return on investment, some of the infrastructure that goes in is is many, many years. And uh, we've got to be looking at the future to, to, to ensure that there's going to be revenue streams in 20, 30, 40 years. And the way to do that is to invest in kids. And so I, I hugely support the government initiatives to, to get these kids up to the mountains, um, because even if 10% of them go, I remember that one day I had on snow and it was fantastic, I want to go back, then, then that's a win. Um, and I'm uh, particularly with the Burton Academy, it's something we're going to be focusing on heavily, is how do we we get these guys, get these young young kids to the to our academy locations and be able to ensure they can keep coming back because they're going to be the future market for the resorts. Um, so, so yeah, I think um, it will be interesting to see, uh, but generally uh, data would suggest that post-Olympics winter sports will continue to grow. For our foreign business owners, brand owners, product owners, uh, decision makers, what are a couple of key areas you think that, you know, if they're in the snow sports equipment and, you know, travel space, um, is there a couple of key areas that, uh, you think they, you know, they might be interested to key in on? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think if I can use Burton as an example here, um, it's obviously it's Burton products are fantastic, well-known, um, and, and they, they represent a culture and a lifestyle. Um, and I think that lots of um, lots of customers here are, are looking to be part of these lifestyle brands. Um, and I'm seeing a trend uh, where these brands that do support types of culture and lifestyle are being very successful. Um, and I think what's different between China and perhaps uh, other markets, North America and Europe, is the, the traditional retail store. Um, that that is seems to be something that's on the decline uh, in many places. Whereas in China, the retail store is something that's doing very very well um, with these large lifestyle brands looking at expanding their their retail footprint. Um, it's it the very very sort of uh, I think dif- difference in in not market needs and wants, but different expectations from customers here. Amazing. Uh, Freddie, this has been an awesome conversation also about a lot of stuff that I personally love as well myself. So it's been fun. Are there maybe one or two other guests now that you've been on the show, maybe a recommendation or two of a couple of people that you think might be good guests on the show that uh, our audience would probably enjoy from hearing from and, and potentially learn a lot from as well? Yeah, I, th- I think um, if, if you're looking for expats in particular, uh, I think you um, you would do well to have a conversation with Craig Smith, who's the CEO of Burton China, um, who's had extensive experience in Asian markets uh, and, and China. Um, and um, my, my colleague, um, 
Justin Downs from Axis Leisure Management, who's been working in winter sports, specifically in China, for 15 years and has been involved in the majority of resort development projects. Um, so has seen the, the expansion uh, and uh, everything from hotel development through to commercial operations and in between and off to the side. So you'll have some very interesting conversations with him. Um, additionally, though, uh, to, to I think it would also be fantastic for you to get a feel from um, some some local resort executives or even resort owners, if possible. Um, I think the, the question you made, uh, the point you made on ho holding your breath about what's going to happen after the Olympics, uh, uh, there are I think lots of people with huge amounts of investment and experience in the ski industry here. Um, and I uh, could uh, be happy to try and make some introductions for you. Oh, that's awesome. Let me let me flip the uh, the the tables here for a second and have Freddie Bacon as the host because we are actually going to have Justin Downs on a future podcast. So if I were to bring you in as the interviewer, would you mind maybe letting me know what? is a great question that you would love to ask Justin, if you were the host of the show. Oh, that's a, that's a difficult one. Putting me on the spot there. <laughs> and I'm going to, and I'm going to let him know that this question came from his good buddy, Freddie Bacon. <laughs> uh, great. Um, you know, you know what I think would be really interesting for the audience to hear. Um, we've touched upon this slightly today with, with the use of technology. Um, but th there are huge amounts of things that resorts in China are doing very, very well at. Um, and I think it would be great to hear, in Justin's opinion, uh, what it is that Chinese resorts are doing well that perhaps international resorts, North America, Europe, Japan, could learn from China. Um, and I think whilst, whilst China has been absorbing information from lots of North American and European resorts for a number of years, uh, at some stage, I do think the tables will turn and there will be learning exercises that happen the other way. And I think it would be great to hear what Justin's thoughts are on that and, and his, in his opinion, what's being done very well here. But actually, we have another colleague, and I'm sure Justin will give you this recommendation as well, is uh, Dastin Fong, um, who's heavily involved in the development of the Olympic villages. Um, I think if you're looking for, for questions on... Um, yeah, infrastructure development and succession planning. He would also be very interesting to talk to. Perfect. Okay. Love that. That's going to be super fun, especially when I get to talk to Justin. So, uh, Freddie Bacon, thank you again so very much for coming on the show. This was amazing. We had a lot of fun. We learned a lot. Can't wait. And hopefully, uh, you know, all the success with the, with the Burton Academies, uh, and growing those across China. Yeah. Have a lot of fun for me over there. Thank you very much. And thanks for having us on the show. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jing.